It's good to see your faces here tonight. Thank you for joining us as we make much of Jesus at Christmas. And um, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 2. While you're turning there, I just want to say if you're new, thank you for joining us. We love to get connected to you. One of the best ways for you to get to know us is at the end of the service, there's a a table that we'd love to meet you at. It's called Next Steps. But uh, we'd love to get you plugged in here. Because we believe that Kairos is a community that will change your life because it's changed our life. Um, now, as we get into this text today, uh, this is the classic Christmas story. Boggs read this already. And uh, I want us to walk through, the, through this story tonight because I think it's going to be something that's going to help us understand uh, the season that we're walking into this Christmas, Okay. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, tonight, as we study this story uh, of Jesus' birth, a lot of us have heard this story before. In fact, I remember hearing this story for the very first time as a kid. The first time I remember reading this story or hearing this story uh, was when I was about eight years old. And I remember right where I was because I was laying underneath the Christmas tree waiting to open presents, okay? My parents had this tradition, which was that before we opened any presents, we had to read this story. And I remember laying underneath the tree, staring up at the ornaments. In my mind's eye, it was a massive tree. Uh, After I grew, grew up a little bit, I went back and saw that tree. It was about this tall, okay? Not so big after all, okay? But I remember laying underneath that tree and hearing the story and just feeling so safe and so warm and so comforted. And it just felt like Christmas. Uh, And so for many of us, when we hear that story, we feel those same feelings still. We feel like, man, Christmas is wonderful. It's a time of comfort and joy. It's just Special. We have lights on our houses and we have Christmas trees and we listen to Christmas music. Some of it we love, some of it we hate, like Christmas shoes. Like we don't like that song. 
Personally, I feel like it's emotional abuse. I don't know about you, like I can't get there. I hear it start cringing. Uh, but when we get to that story, often we get into, when we get to the Christmas story, we get to a place where we feel so warm about it. But I wanna have you guys look at this uh, nativity scene with me real quick, okay? The reason why I brought this up here is the biggest nativity scene I could, I could find. I stole it from another part of this building. Full disclosure, I did get permission. Um, but the reason I brought this is because this illustrates something that I think is really important about the Christmas story. For many of us, we have a conception that it's like this, right? It's a, it's a, a beautiful um, area that they're in. There's a the barn. I mean, it's rustic, but it's still like, you know, very appealing because it seems somewhat clean. There's, there's some nice animals around. There's some shepherds and some wise men hanging out. There's an angel over the top. But the reality is that first night, it was probably not a lot like this, okay? So there's, there's something we need to, to reimagine when we think about the first night of Christmas. First of all, these guys weren't there. These guys show up two years later, okay? So just, just take them completely off the scene. The wise men, their camels, these guys show up later. And then even the first night, we know that the story is probably really different than what we, what we expect you know, the Bible tells us that they didn't have any place to lay Jesus, so they laid him in uh, a manger. But we've like, built out a whole lot to that because we think a manger is where animals are. That's a barn, but the barn probably wasn't there, okay? From what we know of the, of the time that Jesus was, was born, is it most likely was that they were either in the bottom level of someone's house that they knew, and there was no spare room for them, or they were outside, and they gave birth to Jesus under the stars in a courtyard somewhere. And they laid him in a manger, a feeding area for animals outside in the city, city square. And so most of this stuff is gone. And even the, even the manger itself probably didn't look like this guy. This is a crib. Okay, this isn't really a manger. And in fact, I just want to point out, this is a very Anglo-Saxon uh, Jesus who looks like he's closer to three years old already. Just, just saying, okay? So this probably looks very different. Even, even the faces of, of Mary and Joseph, if you, if you look at Mary, she's just like, I just gave birth, but I'm very happy about it, okay? And so one of the things I want us to look at this story, and this is not to make fun of this manger scene, it's beautiful. But what I want us to look at tonight is that often when we think about that first night, we think it's a beautiful, silent, sacred calm evening. But what the Bible tells us about that night is that it was filled with fear and discomfort. It was not an easy place for them to have that very first night. And we see two groups of people that, that have fear. The first one is the, the shepherds. So there's some shepherds out watching their, their flocks at night and an angel shows up to them and the Bible tells us that they are terrified, which, by the way, you would be too, right? If you're in the middle of a field somewhere, you've never seen electricity, it's dark, you're getting ready to go to bed, all of a sudden the glory of the Lord lights up the place and a bunch of people that weren't there before are standing in front of you and they're glowing with wings, you would freak, right? For most of us, when we think about seeing an angel, we think that would be cool, that we would be like, man, this is great. I believe in God, finally, this is wonderful. But to be honest, in the Bible, every time that you see somebody encounter an angel, the first thing they do is they fall on their face because they're terrified. So we know the shepherds are terrified, 
But I believe Mary and Joseph are also terrified. Why? Because they've showed up in Bethlehem because they were forced to. They didn't go there by choice. Caesar, way off in Rome, says, I want to know how many people are in the lands that I govern. So we're going to just do a census. And everybody's got to go back to their hometown where their grandparents are from. And so Joseph and Mary travel, most likely not with a donkey. If they had one, it might have even been Joseph riding it. Okay? True story. I was in Israel. I saw uh, a man, a donkey, a baby, and a woman traveling together. They were Bedouins. They were in complete uh, uh, clothing that would have been very similar to what Jesus and his family would have been wearing in that time. And guess who was riding the donkey holding the baby? It wasn't the mom, okay? It was the dad. And I'm not saying that Joseph did that to Mary. I'm just saying we have no idea what their experience was. Most likely, they did not have money for a donkey. They probably walked. Mary walked nine months pregnant across the country to get to Bethlehem. And when they had Jesus, they had him in the worst conditions possible. And I've had three Kids, I've got three daughters, Abigail, Violet, and Georgia. They are wonderful. And let me just tell you, we had them at Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt has a first-class children's hospital attached to it. They've got a trauma center. <clears throat> we had a very nice room. We had doctors everywhere. And we were terrified, okay? <laughs> As parents, I was like, I don't know what to do next, okay? I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's What's going to happen next? I've never had a baby. I don't know what to do. As a dad, I was terrified. And I was the one in a modern hospital. Joseph's out there going, okay, we're having a baby in, a, in an open area. What are we doing? I am scared out of my mind. Not only that, the one job that God gave them was to have the Son of God be their child. And the first thing they do is they can't even provide a place for him to live. So they're afraid. And one of the things I want us to look at tonight is God's response. You see, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, was writing to Greek people. So we think about it, it's like, okay, they're all written to the same people. The book of Luke was written to Greek people, and he writes to them in a way that they'd understand. And Greek literature at the time would have these asides where a narrator would tell everybody what was really going on. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Um, and so we uh, find that in this story, we have a narrator telling us what God is thinking. And it's the angels. So let's look in verse 10. We find an important clue here as to how we're supposed to respond uh, to times of fear and discomfort. Um, because here's the thing. I want you guys to know. Before we get there, I, I want you guys to hear this tonight. Christmas isn't always the best time of the year. We, we hear those songs, right? But sometimes Christmas can be a time of fear and discomfort. For honest, Christmas sometimes can be a very painful time for some of us. It can be painful because someone that we love isn't there this year. I had two friends lose parents this week. Christmas is going to be painful this year. I have friends who are going through divorces. 
Christmas will be painful this year. I have friends who are going through seasons where they doubt themselves because their story is not turning out the way that they expected it to. And Christmas is painful. It's scary. And I've been there. I remember one Christmas, I was able to go home. I was single. I was stuck in Memphis, Tennessee, which is a great place. But when your family's in South America, it feels like the other side of the world. And I remember being in a place where I was like, I am so sad at where my story is that I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this Christmas at all. And I remember binging through the Bond series, like James Bond, I never watched them. I was like, okay, it's on TV. I'm just going to watch this. this is all I got. And in that time, I realized how painful, thanks, Box, how painful Christmas can really be. Um, and so some of you guys are going through that tonight. Some of you are feeling that pain. And here's what I want you to hear is that there is hope and there is comfort and joy at Christmas. And we're going to see that in this text as we look at Luke chapter 2. Turn with me, Luke 2, verse 10. The angel says, don't be afraid for look. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. What you find here is you find two Greek words that are pivotal for us to understand this text, okay? There's two Greek words that are side by side. They're both verbs and they're both imperative verbs, okay? So what I mean by that is they're verbs that say, you need to do something, okay? That's what an imperative verb means. In Greek, it means you have to listen up and obey. And when you're reading this text, you find that these two words are we translate them in English as, do not be afraid for look. Do not be afraid for look. There's something the angels tell the shepherds. They say, don't be afraid, but look. And for all of us, we are called to do the same thing when we encounter fear and discomfort. We are called to also step into a place where we, where we are not afraid but we are called to look. Now the question is, what are we called to look at? What are we called to look at? Well, the angel says, don't be afraid because I have good news of great joy for all the people because there's a savior that has been born. And this idea of looking upon the savior is something that's found throughout the scriptures. Throughout the Bible, you find this idea of looking at the savior that God has provided for you. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 16, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 22, um, God calls a man named Abram to follow him. We studied him earlier this fall. Abram follows God, moves to a place he had never been to, and uproots his entire family in the process. God promises him a son. He has that son, Isaac. And then God says, I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him. Abram's like, what are you talking about? But he decides to do it anyway, trust God. Takes Isaac to the top of the hill, and as he's about to sacrifice his son, God says, Abram, look. And Abram looks and sees in a bush a replacement for his son. It's a lamb that has been caught there. And God says, look upon it and sacrifice it instead of your son. In Numbers chapter 23, a plague breaks out because of the people's disobedience. God tells Moses to build a snake made out of metal. 
He tells them to place it in the middle of the camp. And anyone who is bit by one of those serpents as a result of their disobedience is called to come and look upon that snake and immediately their symptoms would go away. Instead of death, they would live. And here you find the angels using the exact same language. They say, God wants you not to be afraid, but he wants you to look because there is a savior that has been born for you. Just like the serpent in the wilderness, there's a savior that has been born for you. If you go look, you will find joy. Just like the ram in the thicket, there's someone who's gonna come and take your place that if you look for him, you will find joy. And that's what we are celebrating at Christmas. We're celebrating that the gospel tells us that even though things may be really bad, we may be really afraid, we may not know what's next, God is offering us an advent, a time of waiting and a time of longing that will ultimately be fulfilled when we look to Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And so tonight, when we talk about looking upon Jesus, we're calling people to say, I want to consider Jesus. I want to behold him. I want to look upon him, and I want to find hope in him. Because when you do that, you enter into joy. You enter into joy. Now, joy's an interesting concept because a lot of us, when we think about joy, we think about being happy, right? We think joy and happiness are the same, but they're not. Happiness is an emotion you feel on your, based on your situation, but joy is deeper. Joy is not rooted on how you're feeling about the moment, it's rooted on who you know. And what we find here in the Christmas story is that God is offering us a different kind of joy. He's inviting us to joy because joy and fear are opposites. The opposite of fear is joy. And you may go, no, I thought the opposite of fear is courage, right? Because when I feel afraid and I don't do that, then I'm actually acting in courage. But you can still have fear and do something courageous. But both fear and joy are both responses to something that you perceive. You can see a situation and be afraid. Or you can see a situation and instead Choose to have joy. And Jesus is offering us something different in that he's offering us a a way to look at the world, look at our situation, instead of feeling afraid by it, that we would instead feel joy. Why? Because we have a different source to draw on. We have somebody else to look to. Because God is offering us something far better than simply trying to get through the season or get through life. He's offering us true comfort and joy because the secret of Christmas is this. The secret of Christmas is that God in Jesus Christ gave up his comfort so that we could experience the joy of knowing God. That's what Jesus did when he came. He gave up his comfort in heaven so that we could experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And that gives us hope because if Jesus is willing to enter into our story at Christmas, he's also willing to enter our story right here in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're in a place where you feel broken and you feel alone, you feel like God does not see you, know this, that the same Jesus that came at Christmas wants you to look on him 
so that you can experience the incredible comfort that he offers you. Here's the incredible, incredible thing about Jesus Christ. When you're going through the hardest times, that's when he becomes the most beautiful. It's when things are acting completely fine and we're, we're doing great. That's when Jesus sometimes can fade in the background. But when we need him the most, that's when Jesus shines the brightest. Robert Murray McShane says this. He says, you will never find Jesus so precious as when the world is one vast howling wilderness. Then he is like the rose blooming in the midst of the desolation, a rock rising above the storm. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're dealing with tonight. Chances are some of you guys are doing great. You're excited you're home for Christmas already. You're excited to see friends. You're excited to hang out with them. Some of you are, are looking forward to spending this time with your children. We even have some grandparents in the room. You're excited to see them open up presents. It's a great season. Everybody's doing well. But you know that there's still a void. There's something that you can't really touch, but you just know that, that you should be enjoying it more. And you can't really explain it, but maybe late at night you're feeling the weight of like, man, there's, there's something more that's missing. Some others in the room are going through an incredibly difficult season. Maybe this is the first year without mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. Maybe this is the first year that you're going home to both your dad's house and your mom's house. Maybe this year you're, you're feeling the weight of being single or childless and it hurts so bad you can sometimes not even breathe. And you feel like your story is not going the way that you wanted it to. And I just want you to know that if that's you, we know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. In the middle of all of that pain, or maybe the emptiness of the soul, God sees you. God sees you. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. He knows what it feels like to be alone. He knows what it feels like to be hungry. He knows what it feels like to have a friend betray him. He knows what it feels like to have his friends walk out on him. He knows what it feels like to have people hate him. He knows what it feels like to be someone who's despised and rejected. He knows what it feels like to have a parent die. Joseph died. He knows what it feels like. And whatever you're going through right now, Jesus knows what it feels like. And just like he came at Christmas, he wants to come so he can be your comfort, so he can be your joy. And so one of the things I was talking to a friend about this week is that one of the best things that we have to do when it comes to, to joy and stepping into comfort and joy at Christmas is that there is a choice that we have to make. You know, joy and comfort don't come just, just easily sometimes. God offers it freely, but we have to choose to step into it. 
And one of the best ways to do that is to look to Jesus, but it also helps to look at what Jesus has already done for you. By thinking about what he has given to you. So uh, psychologists tell us one of the best ways to overcome anxiety and depression and feelings of not being enough is to be grateful. And I don't even maybe go, how did I be grateful in the middle of just this pain? But the step to overcoming it is to choose gratitude. To say, I'm going to be grateful for the things God has given me. I'm going to experience gratitude because of the, of the wonder and the goodness that God has actually given me. Even though the thing that I want isn't happening, God has been so good to me in so many other ways. And so if you're going through an incredibly difficult season, my encouragement to you tonight, before you even go to bed, is to go take out a journal and write down some of the things that God has done for you. Because God's faithfulness in the past gives you courage to step into the future. Right? God's faithfulness to what he's done in your life and what he's being faithful in right now gives you hope that tomorrow will be better. The second thing I think that really brings joy, to choose joy, is to find wonder. To look at something that just takes your breath away, whether that's something beautiful in nature or a song or a painting or even looking at the delight in a child's eyes as they open a present. There's something about wonder that breaks through our defenses and gives us joy. And so this Christmas... I believe the best way we can find wonder and joy is to really look at Jesus because he's the one who's the author of both those things. But at the same time, he's the one who's given us the best example of it by coming and giving us everything when he stepped out of heaven to walk into our world. And my invitation to you is to look at Jesus. Some of us have been skating through Christmas, in fact, skating through our whole life, and we've never really looked at him. We've like glanced at him and looked away. We've seen him in peripheral vision. We haven't really looked at him. We've, we've looked at him for a minute, and then we start looking at something else because we have ADD. That's the thing that social media teaches us, right? We look at stuff, and we're like quickly bored. We're like, next thing, next thing, next thing. Like TikTok. It's like you just go, go through those, those reels or those rolls, whatever it is. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm not on TikTok, all right? But you just go through those videos. We do that when it comes to Jesus. But there's something powerful about just looking and beholding him. We're going to close out tonight with some baptisms. Two young men at Kairos have chosen to look at Jesus and say, he is enough. And so we're going to be baptizing them tonight. What's so beautiful about baptism is it is a picture of people who say, I'm finding my comfort and joy in Jesus Christ. He's enough. I've looked upon him, and he has satisfied the deepest longings in my heart. Yes, there are going to be times I'm going to struggle. Yes, there are going to be times when it's hard. But I'm going to choose to look upon him as my hope. And so tonight in the baptistry right here, to my left, your right, two young men are going to come and get baptized, and we're excited for them. You're going to see their stories, but I'm going to say this. Uh, tonight, if you feel moved to get baptized, we would love to baptize you. And I know the biggest deterrent to that is you may not have been prepared. Guess what? We have shirts for you. We have some clothing for you if you want to get baptized. You might go, wow, it's cold outside. I get it. I understand. Um, but if you feel that like God's calling you to be baptized, 
uh, Cameron, who helps us out here and is on our team, he's going to be in the back of the room, and you can go talk to him about it. Um, God may be calling you to take a step of baptism. And you may say, what is baptism? Baptism is a public proclamation of being someone who follows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who says, Jesus, you're it. That I've looked upon you, I'm giving you my entire life. And baptism is that. It's just telling people publicly that you're in. It's a lot like a wedding ring. I got married to Tabitha on our wedding day. I got given this ring. This ring doesn't make me married to Tabitha. If I give it to you, you won't be married to Tabitha. But it does show you that we are married. And if I wasn't wearing it, she'd be like, where's your ring? Right? It's a symbol of our commitment to each other. That's what baptism is. It's declaring that, that your commitment is to Christ and you want everybody to know that you're his. So if you've never been baptized and you want to do tonight, we would love to baptize you. But before we do that, we're gonna see these two young men get baptized. As they get ready, I just wanna pray for you guys. And I wanna pray for them. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of the people who are here tonight. And I just, I, before we do anything else, I just wanna say this. I know that there are some who've heard this message tonight and, and they feel the weight they feel the weight of the world upon their shoulders. They feel the anxiety at Christmas. They feel the pain of loss. They feel the, the loneliness of the moment. And they are dreading going home. Some of them may not even be, go home, be able to go home this, this Christmas. In the midst of this, God, I pray that you would be the comforter of their souls, the healer of their hearts. God, I pray that you would give them the joy that lies at the heart of Christmas. That this would be a season where they experience a joy that cannot be contained because you're in the middle of it with them. And that you would step into this story. And so God, we pray for that. And God, we pray for these young men getting baptized. I pray this would be a powerful moment for them as they declare their public allegiance to you. It's in your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.